At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. This lesson on OB operations are going to cover a lot of the things you're going to do at the very end of pregnancy to help get baby out. We're not going to talk about all the surgeries OBGYNs do. This is primarily focused at obstetrical operations of delivery and then a little bit on preserving pregnancy. We're going to talk about each of these procedures in terms of their name, the procedure itself, what the intended benefit is, that is the indication, what the risk might be, and then any intended benefit or bonus or pearl that you need to know about this particular procedure. And we're going to start off with the one you've heard the most in this lesson, the C-section, the cesarean section. Now, not every C-section is a C-section, and there are going to be a varying amounts of technical details that allow you to get into mom's belly. But the point is, you cut mom's belly open to get to her uterus to get baby out. To keep it simple, I want you to see two different procedures. There's many variations, many techniques, but there are two that I want you to see. The first is going to be the slow, controlled, planned elective where mom wants to preserve her aesthetics. You have time to think about it. You've got time to plan. The visual window may not be so great for the operator, but no big deal because mom and baby are doing fine. This procedure involves the bikini cut, an incision that's going to be hidden in mom's folds and underneath a bathing suit because mom may want to go back out on the beach after she's had a child. It will also involve a low transverse incision on the uterus. Bikini cut, low transverse, that's what you want. The other section I want you to see is the crash section. The crash section is going to involve mom being cut from xiphoid to pubis, much like a trauma victim, and then having a vertical incision. This happens when you don't want to preserve mom's aesthetic, or rather you can't because the risk to mom and baby is too high. You need to get baby out. We've also said this many other times in this series. The decision to go to section is not based on the diagnosis, but based on how severe mom or baby are. The more severe, the more ill, the faster you have to go to a C-section but I want you to see C-section broken down into, as divided into three categories. Elective, do it whenever you want. Urgent, needs to be done today. And emergent, needs to be done right now. Elective procedures have their own indications, but usually it's because mom wants to. But you may also see an elective procedure be done for something like a breech birth that's known or just because mom wants to. An urgent C-section is done for a complication or a disease. Either vaginal delivery didn't go well, or it's starting to turn a corner and get bad, or you have a diagnosis where you can't really wait for the vaginal birth to finish. What you're looking for here is either prolonged or arrest of labor. 
or you might do it for something like eclampsia, where you don't need a crash section to get baby out immediately, but delivery, somehow or another, usually by section, if the baby is in the right station, to get baby out to stop the eclampsia. And then you'll have emergent. An emergent should be obvious to spot on the test. You're going to see either maternal hemodynamic instability or you'll see fetal distress. And we've identified fetal distress in previous lessons as profound bradycardia, loss of variability, and late decelerations. I want to emphasize again, it is not the diagnosis that leads you to elective, urgent, or emergent, and it's not even the diagnosis that leads you to section. It's how well or poorly mom and baby are doing. The risk of having a C-section is if you try to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. We'll talk more about this in just a second. The other big risk is scar. Mom may not want to have a scar. And if you, especially if you have a crash section, that scar is going to be there for life. And it's very obvious. And lastly, which is not really a risk, but sort of a bonus for the operation itself, is going to be you can have permanent sterilization with bilateral tubal ligation. Because mom is already open, while they take baby out and hand it off to the pediatrician, the surgeon can get back in there and tie off the tubes. But I do want to spend some time on vaginal birth after cesarean because it's going to come up on the wards for sure. Mom comes in. She has had a C-section prior. Now she's pregnant again. The question is, what do you do? Well, the problem with having a C-section is scar. And scar is the weakest point on a uterus. As we learned in third trimester bleeding, the force of contraction may cause the uterus to tear and baby to be birthed into the peritoneum. That's bad. So your options are to do the C-section again or try vaginal birth. And here's how you can help mom. Again, the actual decision is going to be based on more than just this, but these are the criteria you should look for. You're going to ask first, what type of C-section did she have? You're going to ask, what is her risk of attempting vaginal birth? If you've had less than two C-sections, and some people would argue that two is okay as well, and all of them had low transverse cuts, then they are low risk. If they have not had this criteria, that is, they've had too many C-sections, or any cut was not low transverse, they are high risk. If you're high risk, you should just plan the C-section. You are delivering the baby by section, but you're not even giving her a chance to do vaginal birth. If she's low risk, you attempt vaginal delivery. If successful, it's called vaginal birth after cesarean. She delivers vaginally, and this is absolutely the best outcome. If you fail, 
It's called Tolak, Trial of Labor After Caesarean. It's a trial because it doesn't work. And what you have is an unplanned C-section. This has the worst outcome. The planned C-section is not as good as a successful vaginal birth, but not as bad as an unplanned section. It's usually because if you try vaginal birth and fail, something went wrong that converted you to the C-section. And the problem is that when you first say, I want to attempt vaginal birth, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, the best one or the worst one. So if she's high risk, you may just do the C-section again. This becomes even harder after she's had many pregnancies, three, four deliveries, where the uterus shouldn't be caught on anymore. You won't have to answer that question on the test, but it's a great dilemma to find on the warts. C-section, got to know the most about it. The other delivery operation is going to be either vacuum delivery or forceps. They are essentially the same delivery mechanism, and the test cannot ask you to choose between them. And it is for the same reason as a cesarean section. Either labor is taking too long or baby starts doing poorly. You want to use some technique, some tool, to get baby out of mom. But in order to use vacuum and forceps, you have to go in through the vagina. So it only counts as useful if baby is already almost out. So you may go for fetal distress or prolonged or arrest of labor. But you must have full effacement of the cervix. This makes sense because baby has to be coming through the cervix. And it must be two plus station or closer to exiting. The only time you can do this. And the way these work is literally it's like a vacuum cone that you stick on baby's head, turn on the suction and pull. And you're actually yanking baby out. The other way is to take these tongs and you go up mom's vagina and grab onto baby's head and you yank while she pushes. You're just adding extra traction to get baby out faster. The problem with these is that if you do them wrong, you can cause some serious problems. The vacuum just gets stuck on baby's scalp. But if it catches some of mom's vagina, you may end up denuding it, which you can imagine hurts a lot. In which case, you have to make sure you just wipe your finger around it to make sure you have no, none of mom attached. The tongs cause cephalohematomas. And Bell's palsy. Be careful here, this is Bell's palsy, not cerebral. The question then becomes, what do you use in what situation? Again, it's going to depend on how fast baby needs to come out and how sick they are, mom and baby. But here's how you should see it. Fetal station is based on the ischial spines with station zero being in the middle. Minus five centimeters is in towards the uterus. Positive station, positive five, is towards the vaginal opening. It makes sense then you're going to pick the tools that go up the vagina when baby's close to coming out, and you're going to pick the tool that comes from the top that goes into the uterus when baby is not near the vagina. 
Now this dashed line is only used to represent station zero, not the cutoff for when you're going to use C-section versus forceps or vacuum. Generally, it is around station two that the cutoff begins. So baby's location in mom is going to help you decide which one it is. Next are episiotomies, and the common joke amongst trainees is that episiotomy is only indicated for learner education. But we use episiotomies to also discuss lacerations. And that's really why you're going to do an episiotomy. You're going to avoid the creation of an uncontrolled laceration. You cut mom so that she doesn't tear herself. Episiotomies are going to be indicated when you have a big baby, it's macrosomic, going through a small vagina that is a first-time mom. She hasn't had anything that big go through yet. She hasn't been stretched out. And baby's not going to give her time to adjust. So baby just tearing through the vagina in a precipitous delivery or a big baby in a small mom is going to cause mom to tear. Also, you may do this to prevent a big baby from developing shoulder dystocia. The risk, however, is that you are generating a laceration. When you cut mom, it is creating a lack. So you have that laceration and also can present as postpartum hemorrhage. So be sure that you suture her after you've cut her. But there are two types of episiotomies that represent two types of lacerations, and we need to discuss each one. This is mom. This is her vagina her anus, and her legs. The first type of laceration or episiotomy is going to be medial. This is the most common in the U.S. We choose the medial because it is easy to resuture. The problem with medial is that it hurts more and there's a possible consequence of grade four. That is, you cut her in the first place so that she didn't develop a deep laceration but it didn't work, and the, the laceration extends past your episiotomy. I'll talk about what that means in a minute. The other kind, used most commonly outside the U.S., is the medial lateral. The medial lateral hurts less, is harder to repair, so heals poorer, but has no risk for grade four. What's up with the grades? I'm going to zoom in. This is the bottom of her, of her vagina. This is the lumen with the anal mucosa. This represents the anal sphincter. A grade one laceration involves the vagina only. If it extends into the perennial body, grade two. If it gets into the anus, to the sphincter, but not to the mucosa, it is grade three. If it invades through the mucosa, you have grade four. In a grade four a laceration or episiotomy is a connection between the vagina and the anus, which could form a rectovaginal fistula, which mom will not appreciate. So we've talked a lot about the operations that are done towards the end, that is during delivery. There's a procedure that we haven't talked about which can be done earlier which will preserve pregnancy.
That is the cerclage. The cerclage is used to preserve an incompetent cervix. And essentially what you do is you take a suture and make a purse string around the os that keeps it closed shut. Incompetent cervixes can happen for a number of reasons. The biggest risk factors are going to be repeated sexual transmitted infections and pelvic inflammatory disease, and also repeated dilations, usually in dilation and curatage. A non-physiologic reason to open up the cervix. And what you'll see in mom is going to be multiple second trimester losses. You put in a suture with a needle, and you usually put it in around week 14. The risk of insertion is that you could accidentally take the needle and poke the amniotic sac. That will rupture membranes far too soon, and baby will not do well. It's at week 14, these generally don't progress. But if you don't take them out, and the cervix intentionally dilates, you could literally tear the cervix to shreds. So cervical lacerations and cervical rupture is the consequence of leaving it in. So around week 36, around the time of term, you have to remove it. If you don't remove it, you cause rupture. When you put it in, you can rupture the membranes. But the cerclage is a way to keep baby in mom's uterus when she has an incompetent cervix. The last thing I want to talk about is anesthesia. Because you're going to see this be used a lot. Labor hurts, and we have ways of helping mom get through labor. The first is a sort of general anesthetic Opiates. And opiates are pretty good, and they can be used anytime. But you want to avoid them in the latent phase of stage one because they can cause prolonged latent phase. And if you give it very late in the delivery, baby gets some of that, and they come out and will need naloxone. Baby's respiratory drive will be suppressed by the opiates you gave. Generally, we don't want to do that. An epidural is a great way to eliminate pain. You put a needle in mom's back. If you feel the pop of the lumbar puncture, you're doing it wrong, you're in the subdural space. An epidural does not go into the spinal column, doesn't CCSF. When you infuse anesthetic, she can't feel anything, which means it's going to require a tocometer so that she knows she's contracting and a coach to tell her when to push. Her pushing out of sync with her contractions doesn't do very good. The other thing that it can do is you put it in the wrong place, you do a subdural, and you infuse lidocaine, and then she goes into catastrophic cardiac collapse, anesthetizing all of our sympathetic systems. So hypotension and death is a high risk, but generally you figure that out pretty quickly and you stop the infusion. There's nothing you can do for this except wait for the lidocaine to wear off or use vasopressors to keep her pressure up. But there's also some local stuff you can do. Stage one is all about cervical dilation. 
and you can stop the pain of cervical dilation if you locally anesthetize the cervix. A paracervical block prevents the pain of stage one, but you're putting that in near to baby, and so what might happen is you get fetal bradycardia. I'm gonna draw fetal bradycardia in black marker. I've usually done this in red. Fetal bradycardia is a sign of fetal distress and is usually an indication to move to section. But we know we just injected lidocaine near the cervix near baby. So if it happens to be gave injection baby brady, that does not signify fetal distress, just wait and baby will pop back up. The other one you should know about is stage two. This is obviously delivery of the fetus itself. And you can use the pudendal nerve block. This one is much better than the paracervical because the pudendal nerve is very easy to identify based on the ischial tuberosity. And the only consequence is that you miss. So you stick her with some lidocaine and she still hurts. Okay, so these are the things you're gonna see a lot. What I want you to realize is that the C-section has a lot of variability, but what I want you to see is slow, controlled, bikini cut, low transverse, versus uncontrolled, extreme, must get it out now, vertical incision on both mom and the uterus. You do a C-section when nothing else works, or mom wants to, or you don't have time to wait for vaginal delivery. That is, you don't have hours to try to push you have to get baby out sooner. The big question is going to be, what do you do with vaginal birth after cesarean? You only attempt if it's low risk because a success is the best outcome or a failed attempt at vaginal delivery is the worst outcome. If she's not low risk, you're just gonna do a planned section. For forceps and vacuum, what you should think of is baby's almost out but has to come out faster. The vacuum can denude mom. Forceps cause cephalohematomas. You choose C-section when baby is at a negative station. You choose forceps and vaginal delivery when baby is near two plus or greater, almost out. Episiotomies are used for big babies in a small mom to prevent lacerations, but they are themselves a laceration that you need to suture. And you can choose between medial and mediolateral. Medial is risky because it can turn into grade four, which can lead to a rectovaginal fistula, but is easier to suture, or a medial lateral, which is more painful, doesn't heal as well, but also can't go grade four. Cerclage, you put it in at week 14. If you poke the sac, you ruin the pregnancy. Don't forget to take it out, otherwise you destroy the cervix. And then for anesthesia, the thing you want to remember is an epidural is good, but it requires a tocometer, and if you get it in the wrong place, low blood pressure. If you use opiates, be prepared to give baby naloxone and have a decreased respiratory drive. That is OB operations.